Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, anyone who knows me or has listened to this podcast for any length of time knows that this week's guest is massive. We are talking to original Simple Minds bassist Derek Forbes. To me, probably my favorite bassist ever. If not him, then it's Peter Hook. One and two, back to back. I love Simple Minds, as everyone knows, and I think much like the conversation we had with Martin Popoff the other day about KISS, I find Simple Minds as fun to talk about as they are to listen to because there's just so much, so many decisions in the history that don't always make sense or you want clarification on where they are and why they were made. And so I've wanted to talk to Derek all this time to kind of get some ideas. Now, he recently published a book. It's called, and this title is important, A Very Simple Mind, colon, On Tour. Now, when we did this interview recently, his people emailed me the book the day before the interview. So, of course, I hadn't read it. I didn't know anything about it. I just finished it last night. And the important thing to remember is that on tour part. Because that's basically what this is. It's sort of Derek's tour diaries. You don't really get a feel for why he was sacked. You don't really get a feel for why certain things happened, songs being created or made, some here and there, but not a lot. It's mostly we played this town, this performance went great, then we did these drugs and ate at this restaurant and partied with these people. It's fascinating stuff and I wish I had read it or knew more about it when we did the interview because there are a lot of holes that I kind of left open thinking of the book would explain them, but that's not really how it works out. So we talk about, of course, Simple Minds. We talk about his time afterwards in bands like Propaganda. Uh, we talk about touring with Big Country there for a little while. Um, <laughs> I've got a, I actually forgot that I saw him on that tour. I'll tell you more about that at the very end. And what he does now, the solo stuff, uh, there is one moment in this interview, it's amazing if only you could hear it, he pulls out a guitar and starts playing the bass line to one of my favorite Simple Minds songs. If you don't know, Zoom is worthless at picking up that kind of sound. So the sound basically drops out. You might be able to hear barely something. I didn't want to cut it out completely because I wanted to leave it there as proof that this moment happened. But unfortunately, you can barely hear anything at all. Anyway, I hope you'll check out the book. And more than anything, I hope you will go back and listen to the early days of Simple Minds with songs like this, Love Song, because what they were doing was unlike anything anyone was doing, has ever done, or will ever do. It is some of the most fascinating music you will ever hear, and I stand by that. And I still love them, even though they don't make that kind of music anymore. I still love them because I'm constantly curious about where they're going to go and what they're going to come up with next. It was a huge honor to talk to, De to Derek. He called me from his home, probably in Glasgow. Do you have you ever played Red Rocks? Yes. Really, with Simple Minds? With Simple Minds, yeah. Tell me about it. What do you remember? I remember having a game of football <laughs> before <laughs> we went up there. We were in we were in Denver. We had a game of football against the Pretenders. We played the Pretenders, and the game was a draw. I made Hamish Stewart, who played with Paul McCartney. Uh -huh. He was the referee. So I get filmed for MTV, and then we went up and we played Red Rocks, 
And Mel Gaynor, our drummer, he had to have oxygen come on for play. <laughs> so we called him, we nicknamed him the uh, the oxygen monster. That's what, That was his nickname. Because he, he had to get the, the medics up to get him, to get him uh, back to working order. Yes. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. I hear that a lot whenever, because I, obviously being a big music guy, I go to a lot of shows and they'll say, from the boy, it really is tough to breathe up here. You know, everyone, yeah. uh, I guess it's rough for everybody. So first and foremost, um, I got to tell you, I, Kevin Armstrong says, hi, I am talking with him tomorrow. The guitarist, I'm talking with him tomorrow about his new book. And I was just, yeah. I know you two were played with propaganda there for a while. And so yeah. I just messaged him to say, is there anything I should tell with, I should say to uh, Derek, and he says, just give him my love. He says, tell him Susan Freitag is my neighbor in Hastings, and I've seen Claudia a year or so ago for coffee on the beach. Wow. So, so that's what Susanna sees in Hastings as well. That's lucky because we were going, we, my wife and I, we were going to move down. To really? Either Hastings or, or Brighton, yeah. We were a few years ago. But we're stuck here in Glasgow. We're here because she works in film. My wife works in film and TV. Oh, okay. So she's up here in makeup. She she works with uh, she does Outlander. She looks after Sam Hewen. Really. The main guy from yeah. Yeah. And Sam Sam and I go out on the Harley Davidson. I've got a Harley, and so is Sam. So we ride about in that as well. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that is surreal. I'm just imagining if I were working in like a roadside gas station or convenience store and Derek Forbes comes in on his Harley with all of his leathers to buy, yeah. a, you know, to buy a Coke or something like that. I would lose my yeah. mind if that was the case. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious why, what sparked writing this book? And I asked that because I think it was last year I had Graham Thompson on here who wrote that really great new book themes for great yeah. cities on the whole band. Yeah. As I mentioned, simple minds is like top 10 favorite band of all time of mine. I have every album. I, um, I never, I never get tired of it. And so I just lapped up that book. It was so interesting yeah. to learn. I'm guessing you can't write a book that quickly, but did knowing that that was out there spark the idea to write your own? No, no, no. not at all. No, I've always, I've always been writing. I've always, been writing diaries and stuff. But do you know what? For this book, I couldn't find a half of them, but I got quite a few. And then, so it was verbatim for each day. It was like what was happening and what I'd written down. And then I would elaborate on it as well. So that was great to do that. Yeah. No, but I read I read Graham's one and then I, I read stuff. And when I read it, the, it wasn't all the truth, basically. Yeah. Not that it was him that wrote that, but it was just the way the some of the stories were coming out, and I'm saying that's not right, that's not true. So I, I decided, well, I'm going to do a book, and everything in it will be true, because you can't get you can't get pulled up for writing the truth. So yeah, so I seen a few things in there, and I went, oh no, I need to I need to uh, clarify that, you know, what yeah. the real story was. Yeah, because it's you know to the victors the spoils they can write what they like. But <laughs> so I, I've just countered it with this one. So 
I mean, it's right. not not in competition with them or anything like that's fine what they write. You know, they can say what they like, but I can say, you know, if I'm saying it, I'm making sure it's exactly what happened. Right. So, I'm curious. Um, what is the state of your relationship with Jim and Charlie today? If they walked into this room tonight, we'd be hugging each other. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's only it's only music. <laughs> you know I, mean? I although know. Although it's great, you know what I mean. Nobody dies. I know, but it. Apart from all a part of my heart dies. Anywhere. You know, I. Okay. A part of my heart yeah. dies that you're not there. It. Uh, yeah. I just. I love the band so much, and I feel like your work. I mean, the bass is almost the lead instrument. It's like it's kind of like Peter Hook's. Ver uh, influence on new order it's lost yeah. without it at least for what it was i mean they transitioned to in a completely different band eventually and maybe yeah. your role would have been you know less or showcase no, i can't, anyway. I can't see mine being less you know i'm too too much of a heavyweight when it comes to i mean that's the way that's the way the song started a lot of the songs started with bass and drums yeah. And I would just drum any drummer, you know, if you could snap your fingers and I would be able to write a bass line to it. You know right. what I mean? Do a rhythm. Whatever it is, I'll write something to it. So that's that was the way we said, what song were we gonna do this time? And Charlie and Mick would go away and try and work out some stuff together. And then he would leave me to come on. So I mean waterfront I wrote on my own at home. Just and it's again, one just, note, right? That's not just one note, no. <laughs> but the whole, that whole, well, the intro part, isn't that just one note? Boom, boom, uh, boom. That's just one note, yeah, that part's yeah. just one note. But there's about four bass lines on it. Really? All going at the same time. Huh. I, I think, yeah. um, I mean, as I was saying, the bass is such a crucial part of that sound, but it almost feels like Waterfront is the one where they think of most people might think of first and foremost just because it yeah. stands out well, so they always strong. use it they always use it as an opener for the set yeah. as well yeah. so it's, it's well traveled now yeah <laughs> it is so okay i gotta ask 
if I'm if I'm going into territory I shouldn't you tell me, but when you say you need to tell the truth and right some wrongs and set records straight yeah. and stuff like that, what's one of the key misunderstandings that is out there that you feel like you need to set straight? Well, the the I mean there was a couple of things. Uh, and they did a, a documentary kind of thing about Rockfield Studios and they were talking about uh, the track Changeling and that's what they're talking about Here he is, he's got a guitar on him now. Oh. So. <laughs> Unfortunately, music doesn't come across on Zoom very well. I so can hardly it. hear it. Yeah. Changeling is, is my favorite song on Guilt to Real, and it's one of my favorite uh, Simple Mind songs overall. <laughs> See, before that, I was just... That's all that was on it. And then uh, John Lecky said to me, Go, Derek, go and write a, a hit bass, a, a hit bass line. So I'm from that, just played them. And then he said, So then I came up with this. Ah. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. You know what I mean? That's 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 what I was doing. But the way Jim was saying is said Charlie came up with the riff. And I'm saying, well the riff's obviously the bass part. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. So that, that, that changed it to uh, obviously when Brian McGee did his uh, Keith Fossey like disco beat for change like <laughs> like that, you know. Yeah. That's when when I changed that to that, and then Mick copied it on the the chord on the, on the keyboard. So he went just doing what I was doing the bass, and that's what made it. That's what made it dancey because my whole thing was about uh, writing with Simple Minds. Was uh, when we went to clubs, we'd hear other bands being played and stuff like that. I'm saying, well, why are we not played in there? We would get premonition now and again. And then eventually when we got the Changeling, uh -huh. that started to be played in the clubs as well. And then we said, right, Empires and Dance. 
That's it to Jim. Look, we need to we need to incorporate more music that you can dance to, and that's how we came up with like I travel as well. Which again oh, was a dancey one for punters to dance to. Yeah. That was, was a gonna, deliberate move. I was going to say this for later. We have Patreon supporters, and I always tell them who I'm talking to, and they can submit questions if they want to. And one of them is from Jake Rude, who's a prominent DJ over here in the States. And he asked yeah. specifically about um, riding the bass line to I Travel because he said it's like his favorite bass of all time. Do you remember conceiving <laughs> of it? I just well, I don't. It just comes into my head. I don't need to. I don't need to have a guitar in my hands or a bass guitar in my hands to to write a bass line. Everything comes from inside for me. I just listen to the the beat, yeah, and then I hear I hear it inside, and then I just go to the bass after that, and, I, and it's all preconceived in my head before I even pick the guitar up. So it's just a. I don't know where that comes from, but that's yeah. the way I do it. So I would hear that. I would hear that before I would actually play it. Then I'd just crank up the guitar and do it. There's a great video on YouTube that I just saw of you, and you're a little drunk, and you show everybody what the real baseline is. And it's been watched. I don't know how. I remember how long ago you posted it, but it's been watched, you know, 157,000 times or something like that. Easily. It must be about that now, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I, know, I was a little pissed uh, drinking the, old, what, the beer. <laughs> a little bit. So, do you? Uh, I don't. I don't. I could ask you about every track you ever worked on, but what is the consensus? Do you know or understand about why they moved on without you? I remember when the book came out. I think you were on Twitter, and I think you mentioned, if I remember correctly. There was a tweet that you sent out that was almost sounding a little apologetic. Like, I understand now why I wasn't meant to continue on or why I might have been a little, maybe the, I'm progr- I'm projecting, but maybe you were too rock and roll or too into the rock lifestyle and they wanted to be artists. Was, Do you remember? Yeah, well, I was too rock and roll. I was a bit too rock and roll. Uh, I mean, I had my girlfriend at the time and, and I used to take a on tour with me and that was the wrong thing to do that was the Yoko Ono you know yeah. stuff with John Lennon I mean I know McCartney and maybe George was a nice just a nice guy did he bother but uh, having Yoko about and screaming and squealing and all that and make, I remember watching the, the Stones rock and roll circus 
uh-huh. and just the, the like, my God, what's she doing? They're doing a blues song about her, and she's squealing and all. I mean, completely talentless. After I totally agree. And she, she wrote something to pen, you are here or something on the ceiling, uh-huh. and that was. <laughs> no, it is that, but it's <laughs> it's uh, quite hard hard to take in. I think that. Yeah. Uh, she was just off and up, still off on that. She's still here, so yeah, <laughs> <A> crazy woman. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so that was the thing, and that kind of that kind of moved John away from the band. The same thing with me as a girlfriend taking her everywhere because uh, I didn't want to go with anybody else anyway. Yeah, and I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. So that was my fault. And then getting into newspapers with stuff and all that because she was like well known for. TV stuff and whatever, so that didn't help. Oh shoot! And I think that was it. They had to because they were losing me for the band. They were losing me as a friend, not as a friend because we'll always be friends. But but I kind of distanced. I was like I was distancing myself, and I didn't I didn't mean to do that. But just that was the way way it happened. That's hey, shit happens. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, but it's it hurts when you. So my understanding, I believe, is one of the last things you played on is Don't You Forget About Me. When you see the band become different and stadium fillers, that big music that you 2 and The Call and The Alarm and Big Country and bands like that were really into at the time, are, do you see yourself? Do you see where you w- might have still fit in in that sound and in that style? Or is it not really what you would have done? I think I would have made it better. Really? Yeah, I could. Yeah. Well, that's no question. I need to say that, but I, no, I think I definitely do because I know I'm, I'm working with Mick and Brian McGee. So we the three of us are working together, and we've just started playing some of the tracks and tracks that we'd written after that as well. And it just sounds like Simple Minds. It sounds like Simple Minds in their yeah their glory days. That uh, really does. It's just like you you hear it from anyone. Go, that's Simple Minds. I mean, even when I play with my band. I've got a band called Derek Forbes and The Dark. Mm-hmm. I called it The Dark because I can use anyone. Mm-hmm. As long as I'm there, I can use other musicians and get as many gigs in and whatever I can. But we played in London one night and there was guys came in. They came in late. The place was packed. And I don't know what we were playing. And they will say, that sounds like Simple Minds. Oh, they're really lit simple points. Wow, wow. And they come in through the door and they went, that's why, because it's him. <laughs> they just realised who I was. Right. So that was good. So that's, with me playing and Mick playing the way he plays, and Brian McGee playing the way he plays, just sounds like simple minds. Uh, At that time, you know, high travel or in transmission or whatever, whatever it is, we did. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's stamped. It's there. That's that's the sound of simple minds. Yes, it is. And I think they're struggling to actually keep that going. Well, I've I've been confused by. I mean, I still love and and support everything the band does, but I always think if you do, you think you're making music as challenging as you did when you first started because you're not. Are you trying to? Could you? Do you not do it for commercial reasons? And when I say you, I'm talking about Jim and Charlie, basically. Aye. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I wonder why they don't experiment more. Or maybe they think they are, but it's too safe still. Or something. You know what? They're using, they're using other writers. They could easily have said to me, 
right, you're out of the band, okay, but you can still write. Yeah. You still write the songs and, you know, and Mick as well. When Mick left, Mick and I, we could write songs for him instead of getting people who, in my opinion, haven't got a clue what they, what they should be. Right. I mean, I thought, as long as you hear Jim's voice, you know it's him. Yeah. But Charlie, Charlie's guitar as well, sometimes you know it's him. I mean, things like Caesar Ever and all that. Stuff like that, that you can hear that's Charlie, but that's him coming up with a riff similar to like, me, my bass or stuff, I think, as well. Because he's yeah. obviously we influence each other, yeah. So you now he's got it could speed that up or whatever, it could be a bass line or whatever. So it was just a motif mm-hmm. that he played throughout the song. So I thought some of those songs were great. I thought I liked Hypnotize. It's hypnotized and uh, let there be love and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that I was really like that. See, that was though. more. That was more simple minds like, but but then I don't know who they were using. Again, different writers. So what and happened not, with Neopolis? Because that was meant to be a reunion with you and Mel, and I well, I like that album a lot, and it's sort of lost, you know. Well, Charlie, Charlie. Wrote most of it anyway. Charlie did write the music for it, and we did glitter ball. He did a chord thing. He just drum, 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 drum. Strumming the bass, and I'm going, no, Charlie, that's not, that's not the way it should be. So, when I was playing it, we, we were actually on tour after that. I, I put, kind of pumped it up a bit more, so it was more aggressive and more in your face instead of kind of just bland strumming here. It was just like a baritone guitar, you know, it was that kind of thing. It was just, they should have just played guitar on it as opposed yeah. to just try to do it like that. Uh, but they wouldn't. They wouldn't give me songwriting for us as well. If I'm going to write bass lines here, then that songwriting job says, no, it's not, no. That's not the way we work. I says, well, what, what do you do then? He says, well, it's just a session fee, but they've been paying me. Anyway, they've been paying me a, a wage for ages up there to go and work on the stuff. And, uh, and then I went on to do all the, the live work as well. No, they didn't want to, didn't want to use the bass. They said, I said, well, you tell me what to play, basically. You, you tell me what you want me to play and I'll play it. Instead of me writing something, oh, you come up with that, you know. That's not the way I work. Yeah. Because if I'm if I'm writing it, I'm writing it. And uh, so it did, I couldn't help myself. I, I, would, I just started to do what I do anyway. Mm. And uh, 
it was all pulled back in the mix. There was all, I mean, see if you heard, if the mix was a bit better and, you, and the bass was up there mm-hmm. where it should be, uh, it would be a different different song, different Interesting. tune. And, and we did a lot of work, myself and uh, Pete Walsh. Pete and I spent ages going, right, okay, we'll get us in with really intricate bits, you know, proper playing. And they just went, no, no, and pulled it back. <laughs> I was uh, like, what's the, what's the point of that? Why have you got me here? You know, if, yeah. you, if you know what I do, why have you got me here? Is this why the reunion didn't last longer? Is No, that, was, got... that wasn't. The re- reunion was after that. That was, uh, yeah, we all I mean, got it's, together. There. I guess it's a reunion on paper, having you and Mel back in the band on this album, but it just didn't. Did they not feel no, like, did they feel like I'm, these guys I'm have moved about, on? I'm talking about later on after oh. Minneapolis. Okay. After that, after we did that tour, and then we finished the tour in Leon in 1998, I think August 98 or something like that, and uh, that was the last time that I played with them. I and, and Jim had phoned me a couple of times, and then I was moving the house. I was moving up closer to where the studio was. It was for the schooling for my kids. Because yeah. there was great schools up there. I mean, the 15 people in the whole school, not in the class. Oh, wow. It was wow. just really, really good. So wow. we went we went there, and then the phone calls kind of stopped. And I'm going, what's happening there? And Mel was up in my house. The two years were working away. And then we heard there was a gig on the concert for the Cos- for Kosovo in Glasgow. They had the big, the big uh, SECC, the big amphitheater. It's not an amphitheater. It's a big hall. And we were in there, I think there was 10,000 people or something, but all the fans were saying, oh, is Derek playing? Why is Derek not there? Why is, why is Mel not there? Why is Derek not there? I says, oh, no, they, they've, they've got something on. They can't make it. They've said they're, they're, they're away, they're abroad or something like that. And we came, we came on stage before they came on stage. They never knew we were going to do it. So the two years went on with friends and girls, dancers. It was just great. It was like a... A, a baseball match of the girls yeah. so we had them as well and we played we played uh, what was that the P. Diddy version of uh, oh, the Zeppelin song really uh, yeah whatever it was called yeah. Cashmere uh, Ka- uh, there was a, it was there his version whatever that was called yeah I can't remember what he called it but you remember he did uh-huh. so I was playing guitar I was playing lead guitar Oh, man. And a friend of mine, Ali McCoy's playing playing bass, and then another friend of mine, Trevor Stephen, playing guitar, and a, and a comedian guy, friend of ours, I know, he was singing, we were doing, basically he was rapping over the top of it. Uh-huh. It was just mental, and Mel was on drums, so all the fans have gone, they're all confused, they've gone, what's happened there? And they never knew we were going to do it, so they had in the dressing room, they didn't come out of the dressing room, Jim and Charlie, that, because the dressing rooms were close to each other. That was just mad. But uh, it was great, though. It was really good wow. to play that. I bet. Uh, Mel was on here about six years ago, and um, I've heard that he's kind of fallen on some hard times. Do you stay in touch with him at all? He tried to get me to join up uh, with a band, but it was a, a jazz fusion band, and I yeah. couldn't do that. That's not my thing, you know? Yeah. So I was like, no. So okay. we've not, no, I've seen him, I've seen him quite a lot over the years, but. Oh, good. I mean, he's stayed at my house okay? and stuff like that. Well, 
I don't think he's been that that well. He doesn't look that good at times. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know what he's what's happening with him. I bad. think he was staying in France. He was staying in France or staying in Germany or Holland or somewhere. He's he's always he seems to be a bit of a nomad. You know, yeah. he's all over the place. Yeah. But uh, no, uh, I've not really seen him a lot, so I couldn't okay. really answer that. I wondered. Um, in getting ready to talk to you, I I had I think I knew this and forgot. Did you come in and play some overdubs on the Live in the City of Light album? Yes, yes. Nice. So what would that? What is that call like when you're not in the band anymore and they're promoting a live album that doesn't include you, but they want you to come on and play some overdubs for it? Uh, well, I, I did get a credit that said, thanks to Big Dan or whatever. I didn't even say what tracks I was on and I never get paid for it. Really? <laughs> Never get a penny for it. What? <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable, isn't it? That's not right. <laughs> I didn't get two sticks in the balloon. <laughs> were were did Jim call you directly, or were Jim and Charlie in the room, or did you just? I was show? probably probably the the office would have got me. Okay. Yeah, it was probably the office. Wow. And then I came and, put, and they were all like, you know, we just. I mean, their heads must have been bursting at that point yes. because the band was doing so well. But uh, no, they had to get me in because Big John's performance wasn't simple minds enough for them, so they had to get me to do it. And they're my songs anyway, so sure, of course, they matter. And I would get paid that way. I'd get paid for the royalties for actually using the songs and yeah. for the family that are recording it as well. Fascinating. <laughs> Let me ask you this. I uh, I had Steve Lillywhite on here um, last year, and I texted him and told him I was talking with you. He sends, he sends his love. Um, no, can I... you remember, one of the things that I thought was interesting is I've always thought of of um, Sparkle in the Rain. Jeez, how could I forget yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I've always thought of Sparkle in the Rain as being one of the better Simple Minds albums, but w when I was reading some uh, the book that we were talking about, Jim was saying that he felt like some of the writing was a little weak and he was actually even kind of pointing a finger a little bit at Steve saying Steve should have pushed us to write better songs. I was surprised to hear that. Do you, how do you feel about the sparkle in the rain album? I, lo I love it. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Me too. I know people saying the bass was really light. They couldn't really, the bass wasn't loud enough. No, no I'm, I'm like, well, I can hear the bass. Obviously I played it so I can hear it probably. Without even thinking about it, I know what I did, so maybe I'm hearing it inside you. That kind of way you go, oh, well, that, that's going on there. I didn't I didn't find that, you know, yeah. offensive at all. No. I mean, speaks of love to me now. There's, there's loads of great songs on that. I agree. I know yeah. a lot of people love the New Gold Dream album, and I do too, but I almost feel like that one's a little safer in a way. It's almost a little too much. It was coffee table music, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Even though people really well, love that one. Brilliant. It's a great album, but it is. You know, that, that's, yeah. It's just a different different production. Another thing that became clear when I was reading that book was I had never considered before that it was it felt like it was stressed that you guys without Jim do all the music, basically. And he doesn't come in and sing lyrics or write lyrics until the very last second. Was that, yeah, yeah, does that true. sound right? That's true. It's 100% true, yeah. 
And in fact, I think that's one of the reasons why Themes of Great Cities is an instrumental is because he heard what you guys did and was like, I, I don't need to write anything. This is great the way it is. Because there's quite a few uh, instrumentals on Simple Minds albums as well. Now, somebody up there likes you. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, Jim, Jim did Team for Great Cities. He just t- gave it the title. Ah. Uh, yeah. You know that I mean, makes so sense. he that's, well, it's, it's good. The titles are good. So. Yeah. But the when music Jim, is. Uh, yes, sir. When Jim is bringing these almost nonsensical titles and lyrics, Sons and fascination, yeah. sister feelings call. These are yeah. terms that don't even make sense. And yet, yeah. because he's cramming together these two disparate ideas, they you can almost imply a definition or a sense of self. What did you think when you were, did you think it was too odd? Did you think it was too arty? Or did, were you just into it? Hey, well, we could just let, let him go. I mean, that was his job was to do that and, Sometimes we think, I remember, I wrote about it in the book about when we were at uh, the Manor Studios and we were doing, uh, what were we doing now? We were doing New Gold Dream. I mean, Mick, we, we had separate rooms, so Mick was in his room and Frank Gallagher, the sound man, was in the next ah. room. And it was summer and I was in my room with the windows open going, and, and Mick, Mick just turned and went, oh no, he's... Fucking ruining my thoughts, <laughs> ruining my music. That's what he said. That's for battle. That's, that's uh, the, what he actually said. And Gallagher's going, turn that racket down, turn that rubbish <laughs> off, shout shouting at the window. That too much. I'm going, no, 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 too bad. I'm shouting. I think we used to always say, no, too bad, mate. No, because we heard the the lyrics and heard them try to do it, put it all together. But that's the way he done it. He done it at the very end, and yeah. without any of us having an inkling what he was going to, you know, be singing about all the title of the album yeah. for that matter. You know what I mean? But it was, it was just like, because oh, for me, he was never a singer anyways. Yeah, so I, yeah. I don't mean that in a bad way. He was sure. more a front man uh-huh. and a person. And it just weird. He was great. He was great on that, and that's probably why we we got to where we were as well. Yeah. Everybody yeah. was pulling their weight because Mick was an incredible keyboard player. Mm-hmm. And the drummers, you can get through all the drummers, they're all, they've all got, you know, 
place in the, that sound. I mean, yeah. Kenny Hislop was great after Brian. Brian was the best, I think, for, for yeah. Simple Minds to keep that sound. But Kenny Hislop was just outstanding. And then Mike Ogletree was great with all the all the symbol work and all that made it all different on New Gold Dream. But yeah. you've got Mel on that and you've also got Kenny Hislop on it. So you've got three drummers on New Gold Dream. Yeah. So wow, but three lyrically, on one album? Jeez. Who was that? Which one? I was going to say, there's three drummers on one album? Yes, I and, and well, New Gold Dream was done with me in the studio with my bass, set up the bass and then a drum kit there and a drum kit there. Two drum kits facing each other, Mel and Mike Ogletree facing each other, me in the middle and uh, we had uh, percussion going on as well. So I'm, and I'm keeping the, the song, the arrangement together and they're just playing together. It was incredible to be in there, you know. You'd pay money for that just to stand yes. there and listen. No that kidding. That was incredible. Yeah. No kidding. Okay, let me ask you about some of the other stuff you did, and then I might go back to Simple Minds. When you leave Simple Minds and they get big suddenly, finally, but you uh, are, are you a full member of Propaganda at that point? Is that your new full-time not, job? Not, no, no, it took a while. It took a while before I became a full member. Yeah, okay. that that was maybe, well, after Claudia left, I think. Really? I think that was after Claudia left. I, I, we did a world tour with, with Kevin, Kevin Armstrong. And uh, you need to tell everybody to buy his book, because I'm sure it'll be brilliant as well. Yeah, I just finished reading it this last weekend, and so that's why we're talking about it tomorrow. I loved it. I loved it. Uh, he's such a good man. Uh, he's a good guy. And he's yeah. I was going to do a, a TV show with him. I was to do a TV show. And I was putting a band together, and I had I had Kevin was going to play guitar, and I had another few people uh, coming in to play as well. I think Mel was going to do that as well, that one. Not sure. When but, was this? Uh, that never happened. This was just a, a couple of years ago. Really? Is that I had this whole band up here in my house? All, really? all the guys and the whole David Bowie band from Live Aid, uh-huh. apart from Claire Hurst. Who was an ex-girlfriend of uh, Kevin's? Yeah. Although I've seen players quite a lot. She was playing uh, some festivals I was doing. I'd seen her. She was in the Bell Stars. Yes, so I remember she, that band. Yeah, she sure. played. Uh, she played. She played sax on that uh, Live Aid with the Bowie wow. Band. Wow. Oh man! Oh, well, yeah, his book is great. Um, so. Uh, I love that first propaganda album. And then when Claudia leaves and Trevor Horn isn't as involved, Stephen Lipson's not yeah. as involved, the one, two, three, four, and the stuff they did kind of after that, I think it's a little less interesting. It's a little kind of more watered yes, down. I, that was, uh, that was too old, but at the time, see, we'd written, started writing that about my house at the time. Once we came back from the tour, the, the outside world tour or something it was called, uh-huh. and uh, we we just came back and we came back to my house. I had a farm when I left Simple Minds, and then I had a horse and all that. So I had a bit uh-huh. horse riding. You know, they stayed there. I think Michael Mertens was stayed with me for about six months, and we were writing songs there. And then Claudia Claudia left. Not she'd stayed there for months, but then came at the end she went away. And uh, so it wasn't the, the the real band, the band that was propaganda, that was kind of gone. Yeah. So then we wrote new songs, but 
by the time we'd written the songs, got them ready, we had a court case to get out, out of to get them off a of ZTT, and that took two years. And then we we went away to record the album, and we, it took us two years as well, which is ridiculous. We were a year in Bath, one year in Bath at Woolhall Studios that belongs to Tears for Fears, and then they sold it to Van Morrison just as we were leaving. And then we went into London, we were in Abbey Road for six months. And then we were in the, the Townhouse, Olympic, Red Dogs, another one, I think. So all these different studios in London. And at the time was two two years. So it was two years writing the songs and getting out of this court case, then another two years doing it. So it was four years old by the time it came out. Oof. So we had no chance, yeah. No chance. Yeah. We had the number one single in uh, Argentina. Oh, <laughs> which well, I wrote, that's nice. I wrote. I wrote that. Yes. Well, we, we wrote it together. I came up with it. I uh-huh. came up with it piano, believe it or not. Wow. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah. I just, it's that first, um, what's a, it's wishful thing. What's the first propaganda? Anyway, whatever the first one's called, wishful. A secret wish. Secret wish. Gosh, I couldn't think yeah. of it. Um, secret wish and wishful thinking was a, a Paul Mellie yes. rehash of, of yes. the album. Like a remix. Yep. Yeah. 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 It just felt like by one, two, three, four, it's okay, but it just sounds like a bunch of other bands. Whereas beforehand you guys were doing something, they were doing something really interesting. I thought. Yeah. They were doing yeah. I, when they stopped that, that was. So tell me. I, yeah. It's just, I don't know. It, it Four years says a lot. So let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Another one of our um, Patreon supporters, Sugar Mouse. He wants to know is, um, about the Big Country album, The Journey, that you played on. Yeah. Uh, he said, such a great, underrated album. Memories of that album, working with Mike Peters, Angels and Promises is the song that stands out. Such a great bass line. Right. What do you remember about making that album? Heavy is the silence that hangs upon my soul. 
I remember that I was there all week with young Jamie Watson, Bruce Watson's son. He was playing guitar with us. Mike, his house must have been about 20 minutes away, 40 minutes away, something like that, from where we were, Barris in, in Wales. And Mike's house wasn't that far away, uh, but he was hardly there. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we did. Is that because uh, of the cancer stuff that he was doing? No, probably? no, no, no. He'd be doing other stuff. He'd probably be doing other stuff. But he was got. He was the the guitar stuff and whatever the songs. I was doing the bass. I was doing. Uh, I was doing the lead guitar at one point. I know. I was playing keyboards and I did all the acoustic stuff. As soon as they any of them had put acoustic down, the engineer Andrea Andrea Wright Ando, she. Would say, hey, Derek, uh, can I just have a wee a word with you? So he'd go, could you maybe just put that? Can we maybe re record that, mate? You know, just re record that. Because I could, the way I play acoustics, she loves it. So ah. says, none of them can do it. She says, you need to do it. So I did all the acoustic, did some of the lead guitar stuff, did all the bass, and did keyboards and sequencing. Wow. You did <laughs> and all singing that? And all. A bit of singing, so and we Jamie as well. Jamie, his, his son, he did a lot of stuff with me. It was always two hours were left there all week because Bruce Watson at the time was working at Rossai Dockyard mm. doing. He was going out with ships on. It was a uh, test. They're testing the ship, you know, taking it for the sale before it gets commissioned or whatever. So that's it ready, whatever. He would go out with a, a crew. And uh, they would work on the boat and stuff like that, or the ship. Mm-hmm. The naval, it was Ross, uh, Rosyth Naval base there, so that's what he was doing. He was working with them. So he, all week he'd be there doing that. Yeah. Jamie and I would be there the whole time. And it was an old uh, nuclear bunker, the studio, so there was no windows. <laughs> <laughs> so it was complete darkness the whole time, apart yeah. from the lights on, you know. Sure. Aye. Uh, that was that was crazy, really crazy. Was Mark Brzezicki not around either? Mark was there, but he was working with From the Jam. Oh, sure. So he was always going away and doing that. And, you know what I mean? Oh. So Mark Mark would come in and do a bit of his drums, and then they, they would all leave, and Jamie now would just sitting with the, the producer, engineer, Mando, and, uh, and we would just work away and stuff. Huh. Now, they toured that album in the U.S. I don't think you were on that tour because I saw them yeah, play. Yeah, it was, yeah. 
you no, were, was, yeah. did I yeah. not register that you were playing with them when I saw them in Denver? Mike had just had like a chemo. No, Denver, I remember. What was the name of the gig? I remember. It was at the Marquee, which is during the day, it's a pizza place. And at night, yeah. it has a little theater in the back. Yeah. Really? Did I, me. I saw you and I don't remember. That's incredible because yeah, you're like months. my favorite bassist ever. I was wearing the kilt. That's right. I do remember that. Oh my gosh. I forgot. I was wearing wow. the kilt. Aye. Yes. <laughs> I was the only one that wore a kilt. Yeah, Mike had had a round of chemo earlier that day, and so he was in great spirits because he always is, but he was a little weak for wear, you know, because of his health yeah. at that moment. Yeah, I was, I, oh my gosh. I, no, we did three months, three months in America, we did. Yeah. What ha why didn't months. it last another album? Was it because the first one was just <clears throat> kind of not completely unified or what? No, we, well, it was just Mike left anyway. Mike left the band, so we had to get find another singer. I was going to do it. Bruce was going to do bits, and uh, but it wasn't for. I mean, it was the bass lines in that. Try to sing along with that. I mean, Tony's Tony Butler's bass lines are fantastic. Some of them yes, really, really great. I mean, he's a great player. Yeah, and Mark's a great, great drummer as well. So it's been it's been good fun having playing with such. Well, fantastic musicians with yeah. them. So I think once once Mike had went, that was it. We, we got a guy called Simon Hoff. Mm -hmm. And Simon, I mean, he's writing write songs as well. But to be, to be fair, his songs are, he loves it, the Doobie Brothers and things like that. And, and it um, comes out in his, in his songs. It's just not, it's not, not big a big country. Yeah. No. So we, we did a couple of songs. And it was kind of pointless. Bruce was singing one and, and Simon sung this other one, but I was kind of busy. I also liked that guy. There's a tree with a budgie and a hole in the ground, or whatever it's called. That, uh, Nick. There's no Nick Hayward, is it? That might be. The tree in the butt and the hole in the ground? <laughs> what? What'd you say? <laughs> There's a tree. De, 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 oh, de, yeah. De, de. Um, Nick Kershaw. Nick Kershaw. That's a, Nick the riddle. Kershaw, aye. Yeah. Aye. Uh, the riddle, that's what I was saying. There's was, was a tree with a budgie and a hole in the ground. And all that. So that's what I think. So. <laughs> There's a tree with a budgie and a hole in the ground. So I can never ever tell what he sung, you know. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So that was, that's the way this song, I can't, remember. I can't even remember what the song was we'd, we'd written for it. But we kept playing and I got his uh, map. Because Ricky and myself knew this agent, Pete Barton, uh, and he got us loads of gigs, loads and loads of gigs. So we're playing all the time and all the time. And then eventually, I, my heart was there. I, I wanted to do my own stuff, to yeah. be honest. And I went out to play in America. So I've got an American band out in Philly who I still keep in touch with. But we did four years, six, seven weeks every year. Really? Playing up and down the East Coast. Oh, the East Coast. I was going to say, how did I miss that? Well, we were doing New York. We were doing right up to uh, just below Ottawa, actually, mm. just before the border, right away, right up, up there. Uh, and then we'd be doing New York. We'd be doing Philly. We'd be doing Delaware and uh, New Jersey and just Cape yeah. May. <laughs> we did yeah. All the way down. It was amazing. Yeah. 
and doing all the years. casinos, doing like Atlantic City and all that, we do the casinos. That makes sense. You put out that Echoes album a few years ago, which I used to listen to on Spotify and it's not there anymore. I don't know why it's not on there anymore. Not down Maybe here anymore. Anyway. I don't know. that um that felt like at the moment you sort of reclaiming like look these are my songs i had a hand in yeah. writing and recording these songs i take ownership of them that's what that album felt like well that's what, what jim said to me he says look you can do whatever you want you wrote the songs jim yeah. said that Good. and he knows that we wrote them together i mean yeah. not one of us wrote them on our own you know we wrote it as a, a, a writing team so they're, they're all their songs, so you're, you're allowed to do what, what you like with that. Yeah. And I, I just done it. Basically, the guy I was talking about, Simon Hoff from mm -hmm. uh, Big Country, I said, well, I'm going to do a solo album. I'm going to do it acoustic. So you fancy doing that with the two acoustics and voices? Went, yeah. And then he said, oh, I can't make it. The studio, I booked his studio in Liverpool and the uh, producer, engineer, well, engineer, Andy, Ando, and myself. Uh, and he could make it. So this was the night before I was to go, or two nights before, no, it was the night before I was to go down to Liverpool, and I'd booked and paid for it and all that. And uh, she said, what have you got? And I said, well, I've got everything you've seen in the movies. I've got, I've got all sorts, I've got banjos, I've got ukuleles, and I've got mandolins, I've got bass guitars, I've got lead guitars, I've got loads of acoustic guitars, uh, I've got keyboards, I've got, I said, bring it all. <laughs> Really? <laughs> pedals. I've got, I've got pedals. I just, well, I had a, I can't remember what vehicle I had at the time. Oh, I had a SUV and in, in uh -huh. the back, put everything in there. And uh, ceremony and all that, put everything. And I just went down and I did the lot. And I say, right, we're doing drums. So I did the drums. Nobody else played on it or someone. It was just me, which was great. Wow. It was fantastic for me to do that. Yeah, and say right, start my drum right. Okay, and I would I play a rhythm, whatever. Say right, we'll do the bass drum on it. So right, we'll do the snare. There's the snare, whatever, and I just built it up and built it up, and then uh, I put the right bass now, and I'm like, nah, I <laughs> right, I'll do the bass. I did the bass right now. Right, don't get said. Do you want a cup of tea? Right, okay, no, no we're doing guitar now. <laughs> Here we go. Right, keyboards. Like, right, we're going to sing. So we'll put a guide book. I was like, my god. It was it was proper. It was just uh, like uh, constant because nobody else to do it. 
Yes. So I did all that. I really yes. loved it, to be honest with you. It was amazing. I was doing banjo and all that on it as well. Interesting. I did banjo wow. in the song uh, Factory. Yeah, that's right. And slide so, guitar, I was doing, doing all that kind of stuff. It's so it's a fun album because you can tell it's homemade, and I say that kind of in the best sense. Uh, that's homemade. Uh, that's yes. what it sounds like. It sounds like yeah. uh, definitely homemade. Yeah, that's it. So I got to ask Derek, how we try to cover the business side of things sensitively on here. Yeah. How have you made a living? Is it, you still make money off of simple minds catalog and old stuff that keeps you afloat or is it all these other projects? What do you do? No, So simple minds. So I make enough money off of simple minds to, to keep floating. You do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I wondered about that. Um, okay, and deservedly so. No, so and I do allows... stuff. I do stuff. I'm going to get. Hopefully, I'll sell a few books. <laughs> well, I hope so too. Sell a few books, and uh, I do. I'm doing a tour the whole of December. Well, not all, from the first to the sixteenth. I start actually start start the third. I'm touring with my band and, and Spirit of Destiny as well. So two years together. Spirit of Destiny, really? I just saw Theater of Hate open over here for the the Mission and the Chameleon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great show. Yeah, well, you think my you... best mate. He's the mate. Kirk, Kirk, Kirk Brandon. Yeah. I love him. Uh, um, I played with Spear as well. I played with Spear of Destiny. You did? I don't know if I knew that. Yeah, wow. yeah I played with Spear for, lot, lot, for all, a lot of years now. Wow. Do you think you'll yeah. ever tour the rest of the United States at any point? I hope so. Yeah. Well, I might do that way. I might be able to do, do it. You've seen the chameleons and yeah. uh, the mission and spirit and you no know, theater of hate. So I might do it like that. I might come over as myself and do it with my band. There's only three years in the band, so it's great. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I saw The Alarm and Modern English and Jane Loves Jezebel, and yeah. uh, which they're split. So, it, I mean, it would make sense, I would think, for you to be able to be an opener on a bill like that, you know? Yeah, I could do that. No more. And I played played with them. Gene Loves Jezebel were supporting Spear when oh. I was with Spear as well. Okay. And yeah. I played with Alarm as well. Played with Alarm for a week. Did you? <laughs> when was that? I, that was in, oh, God. That was, that's quite a long time ago now. Uh, I can't remember, but it's, yeah. it's a good while ago. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you do anything on Once in a, Once Upon a Time, or were you gone by that point? What do you mean? Did I write anything? Did you, well, did you were you involved? In, did they did they entirely uh, conceive of start like Robin Clark was? No, no, I never know. Nothing, no, nothing. no, they, they, I was there for the writing of the songs. We wrote the songs years before as well.
But we, years before we'd, we'd written that, and Mike admitted to me on, online, he just went, all right, Dan, you did, you were there for that. So I never got a penny for any of that. Any you co-wrote some of those songs? I, co- I co-wrote at least six, six of the tracks, at least. What? Yeah. Oh. I never got a penny for it. How do you feel when, as soon as you leave, they explode into being huge? That can't have been easy. No, well, I never, see, when, when I get... The bump, they were, we were number one all over the world, and I've never done that again. So the only way I've went was down. <laughs> so that's, that's how I live with that. That's how yeah. I live with that. That's true. Because they've never ever reached that height again. Yeah. And yeah, they, never, they never will unless we get an album. Go out and do an album, do a new Gold Dream tour or something. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. do that. And, and but I think we can write new music. He's, I mean, I can write and Mick can write, no problem. So could Brian. I'd love Brian yeah. to be involved. I wish. I wish it came back. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it. well, and they couldn't hold on to it either. I mean, uh, street fighting years, I, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't admit this, but when Graham, the author of that book we were talking about, was on, he and I counted down like the top three mistakes that, uh, simple minds have made over the years and yeah. I can't remember if one if my number one was letting go of you or if that was number two and Street Fighting Years was number one it was just yeah. it was the wrong album to capitalize on the new worldwide fame they had just achieved yeah. finally you know yeah I know and they never toured America for ages either they never they no. should have been they should have been going for it going for it but yeah. every other band does so yeah and they tried to recapture it after that, but it was never quite the same, unfortunately. But anyway, so looking back over your, well, first of all, I should ask, I had Will Sargent of Echo and the Bunnymen on here a couple of years ago. And yeah, like two weeks after we talked, he announced his book. He never mentioned it when we talked and come to find out that, and that was just like chapter one, you know, volume one, he's written another one. So is the book that you've just written. Is it? Is there going to be more of these? Do you think, or have you said everything you want to say in this book? No, no. I'd, r- I'd rather go on and tell it right to the end. That's what. I'm, that, That's what I that thought. Would be the plan because there's so much more to tell. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, I had my own Hollywood radio show. That's. I meant to ask years. you about that. I didn't know about that until I got ready to talk to you. No, How did that May even happen? Well, May the Forbes be with you. It's a guy called Ethan Dettenmeyer. It was Mary Forbes to be with you. It was on every Friday night for two years. I would be on speaking yeah. for an hour. Yeah. And we'd had everybody on it, loads of it. Margot Kidder and Jason, uh, Jason Connery. And uh, we had, well, Sheila E took over once my ad left the place. So the building, we had Jeff Schroeder from uh, the Smashing Pumpkins. We had loads of actors, loads of. Hollywood guys, proper guys that worked in, they were producers and directors and all that, loads, just loads and loads of different people. I had Julio 
introduced Coolio. me on stage. You and Coolio. I done the MTV Awards, the MTV Music Awards, and Coolio with Jared Posey. Jared Posey was there, and Jazz Master Jeff as well. All these different people. Peter Shinkoda, who was in, he's an actor as well, Japanese actor out there. Just loads and loads of people. John. What's his name? John Lovitz. John Lovitz? <laughs> yeah. From Saturday Night Live? So that's why I was hanging out with all these guys. That's just so brilliant. broadcasting from L.A. every Friday. To, and no, no, coming this, into the the show, this I, I was broadcasting from L.A. at that point, and then I was broadcasting from Singapore, from the uh, Philippines, from Holland, from Germany, from, from Scotland, from England, wherever yeah, I was, yeah. by uh, Skype. Wow. <laughs> that was so I've got loads of stories about all that. It's just How, who who thinks of that? Who thinks you know who I think would be the perfect guy to host a radio program that also includes actors and Hollywood types? Simple mind space is Derek Forbes. That's who should host that show. Who thinks oh, like see that? the big the big jumbotron, the big fifty foot jumbotron is Derek Forbes. <laughs> said nothing but simple minds and Jim Kerr's phoned me up saying Dan, what's happening here? It says it says you're playing, it says simple minds are playing in Hollywood tonight. Now we work hard to keep the band going. I says, I'll just stop you there, Jim. I know nothing about this because I've been flying out to LA and it's just somebody apparently it's somebody at the support act saying he's playing with simple minds because he doesn't know who Derek Forbes is. He's got that. <laughs> so he's saying to people that he's got to see simple minds tonight. I says, oh, I've got nothing to do with that at all. And then Jim went, oh, all right, right. So, oh, man. you know, that's how it was an advert for Simple Minds. You know what I mean? Yeah. Get the name up. There's, that all helps. Yeah. But that was incredible. I bet. It really was. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So what's next? Okay, so there's the XSM. That's you and, and uh, Mick and... and uh... No, we are, we are called The Minds. The Minds. <laughs> oh, okay. The Minds, I... At the moment, we're using the mines as, as our name. Okay, that makes sense. And you guys are going to yeah. go out and tour and play the music you guys played on. You've got the book. You do Derek Forbes in the Dark once in a while as well. What yeah. else is there on your plate? That's a lot. Well, the, the thing with Mick and Brian, that's that's going to be a film Brian. thing anyway. It's going to be, you know, it'll be more than a documentary. Really? It'll be... It'll be, you know, be lengthwise. We've got people to work on film here that are working on it for us as well. Huh. So and we will do some original stuff as well. Yeah. Really? So and new music from the three of you? We'll get new music for the three as I definitely wow. that'll happen. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. I'm on board for no. this. Um, <laughs> well, Derek, I love you so much. But I, I just <laughs> the music that you helped create and put in the world has changed my life. It's made me who mm. I am. Thank you for being you. Brilliant. <laughs> it means so much Thanks to me. Much. I appreciate yeah. it. And I know I I've I talked to I've had Steve Hillage on here. I've had John Lecky on here. I've had Trevor Horn on here. I've had Mel, I've had Robin Clark. I talk about Simple Minds with anyone who will chat with me about Simple Minds. And so it's a yeah. huge honor to finally get to talk to you. Thank you for doing this. Well, 
Brilliant. Do you know Robin Clark and I share the same birthday? Do you really? Same year. Yeah, same year in Everton. We're the same age. It's uh, she and I, I think we're close. What's your birthday again? Is it May 25th? No, 22nd of June. 22nd of June. That's right. Mine's the 29th. And uh, she and I, she was on the show and we. She was on my show as well. Really? She was on my show. She was on that as well. Yeah. She's such a good lady, her and Carlos. And um, so, yeah, she was like, oh, no wonder we get along so well. We're the same, you know, astrological sign and stuff. Yeah, cancer. So you have cancer as well. Yes. So is Jim Cairns. So is Mick McNeil. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Three cancers in the band. (laughs) That'll do it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Thank you, Derek. It means so much to me. All right. There you have it, Derek Forbes. (laughs) I, uh, I still have so many questions. I don't know if my questions will ever get answered. I still just don't understand so many things. Why did this happen? Why did you do it? Why did you go in this order? Why did you make this music? Why did you let go Derek? I don't understand any of it. But I can tell you that after having read the book, I understand Derek's personality a lot better. You probably did too in this conversation. And I could kind of see why if Jim, not Charlie so much, but if Jim views himself and his music as very artistic and uh, as himself as an artist, which all musicians do to some degree or another. They deserve to. That's totally fine. I can see why maybe Derek's kind of laddishness, if that's a word, just being a regular guy who likes to party and likes girls and likes a game of football and all that kind of stuff might not be in keeping with the vision he has for where his band needs to go. I can kind of understand that better now. The sad thing is, is that when you cut Derek Forbes out of your band, you lose the thing that makes you special in the first place. And that's what happens when you listen to those earlier Simple Minds albums. This is of course, New Gold Dream. We had to close it out with this. So anyway, I have all kinds of opinions about this now, which we'll talk about more on the recap episode. And I'm just shocked that I forgot that he was at that big country concert I saw and the only thing I could think of is that I guess I just hadn't become really a student of Simple Minds or I don't know the band chronology at that time like I am now even though that was only what like 12 years ago or something like that so I, I don't know how I missed it other than at the time they I'm sure they said here's Derek Forbes and I remember seeing him in the kilt and thinking that's cool but not registering that that's my favorite bassist ever because that that sort of confirmation, I guess, came later. Don't you hope that one day... I, I heard one time a, a theory about when you die, you get to kind of watch the movie of your life over again. If that's true, there are so many concerts I want to watch over again so that I can fully appreciate them like this one. Man, that would be great. Anyway, thank you, Derek. And again, the book is A Very Simple Mind colon on tour don't forget the on tour part that's what the book is now next week uh as you know we usually try to kind of close out the year with some more lesser known or slightly obscure bands this year didn't really work out that way because i had so many interviews already in the can but next year's band is probably the least known we may have featured ever or at least this year but they have maybe the most fascinating story you will ever hear you will be blown away. So even I encourage you next week when you're 
episode when the episode hits your feed and you think I don't know who this is I'm going to delete it don't delete it you'll love it I swear huge thanks as always to Yan the Man Makiewicz my right hand man for everything thank you buddy you guys can like our page on Facebook you can send us a message on there you can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod we might have some bonus material coming out this week we'll wait and see but either way we're very grateful for you guys and we love you so much thank you <laughs>